Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store, Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome our guest moderator, Dave Calhoun. Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Apple Store here in uh, Regent Street in London. Uh, and welcome to this event uh, to mark the release this week of The Face of an Angel here in the UK. Uh, the film's directed by Michael Winterbottom, and we've got uh, Michael Winterbottom here with us tonight uh, to answer my questions and to answer your questions as well. Uh, just a little bit on, about on the film which we're going to discuss tonight, The Face of an Angel. Uh, it's a story of a filmmaker, a British filmmaker, uh, well, a filmmaker, a European filmmaker, who travels to Siena in Italy uh, in the wake of a murder of a British student who struggles to work out the kind of film he wants to make, if any, about the event. It's inspired by, but not directly based on, the murder of Meredith Kircher in Perugia in 2007 and the subsequent trials and press coverage around that event. Um, I'm going to welcome Michael Winsbottom to the stage in a second, but first I'd like to show you the trailer for The Face of an Angel. Thank you. This is Thomas Lang. Are you in Rome? Yes. We should meet. So I read your book. You were covering the story from the beginning? An English student had been murdered in Siena. They're innocent or they're guilty, and you can't be neutral. When I think of the face of an angel, I always think of Elizabeth. Do you want me Jessica? She's the story. Hey, Jessica! Jessica! In court, it was made very simple. Jessica was the bad girl, and Elizabeth was a good girl. What are you filming? Did you hear about the Jessica Fuller case? Is it another documentary? Film. I want a guide. Yeah, sure. I want to see Sienna at its worst. Get into the belly of the beast. If you want to meet him, I can set it up. Yeah, for a price. Do you think you are the only one allowed to make money from this story? Why would she accuse someone who's innocent? Only a woman would cover a body when it is already dead. Jessica, she's intelligent. None of that makes her a killer. What's the motive? They condemn the wrong people in the wrong order. What do you think? It's important to look that in the face if you want to understand life. Where did you go last night? I was getting worried about you. Maybe you were right. Maybe he was involved in the killing. He took me to the house. Steer clear of him. You really have come off the rails, haven't you? Get out of here! Let's welcome the director of The Face of an Angel, Michael Winterbottom. <laughs> Michael, welcome to the Apple Store. And thank you very much for coming here to talk about The Face of an Angel tonight. Um, we've got about half an hour to talk about the film. We're going to see a couple of clips from the film as well. And we're keen to take questions from you at the end as well. So please do think of anything you'd like to ask Michael about the film. A quick further introdu introduction to our guest, Michael Winterbottom. As I said, he's the director of the Face of an Angel. Uh, his previous films as director include The Look of Love, uh, Cock and Bull Story, uh, The Trip and The Trip to Italy, which were both, were both films and TV series, depending on where you were living or where you were watching it. 24-Hour uh, Party People, Wonderland, and Welcome to Sarajevo. Quite a lot of films there, but not, not all your films, not, certainly not an exhaustive. You've been making films since the early early 90s, late, late 80s, early 90s? Uh, like films from like mid-90s, but TV before that. Excellent. Um, um, I think you probably get a sense from that short filmography there I mean you do make you are someone who I think relatively makes lots of films and I see you as someone who makes films with 
minimum fuss. I mean, you like to respond, react, be quick, and be agile in the films that you make. I mean, here you are with the face of an angel responding you know, indirectly to a fairly recent news story. Would you say that that reflects your general desire to develop films relatively quickly, to be connected to the world around you, make timely work, be agile, be, be relevant? Yeah, although it's also true that I think uh, Kate Beckinsale's character is based on a real journalist, American journalist, and I met her four and a half years ago. So it's not been that quick. Four and a half years is like, uh, it's like it depends how you look at it, but it's, you know, most films take quite, quite a long time to, to come to fruition. So although, you know, I tend to make a film a year, it doesn't mean to say you started it that year, you often started it several years earlier. Could, could we do, I guess touch a little bit on that um, introduction you said there? You said it's based on, you know, it began as an adaptation or was inspired by a book about the case in Perugia. Did you, did you begin by meeting that journalist, having a conversation with that journalist, before really knowing what kind of film you were going to make? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd read uh, the book. I mean, it's not really based on a book. It's because uh, Barbie's book is an account of the, the murder and the investigation and the, tr and the first trial. Yeah. So then I went to meet Barbie, and I thought she was an interesting character and a way of looking at the press and media coverage of that story. So that was the starting point. But you know, that, you know within the film, the film you know, kind of keeps, the idea is anyway, the film keeps evolving. Like uh, Thomas, Danny Brule's character is trying to think about what story to tell. So you get sort of 10 minutes of a story about the press, then something about the investigation, something about the trial. And then I hope you know, by the end, it's what the film's about is about um, the really simple and obvious fact that it, you know the whole thing should be about, but often gets lost, which is like a girl was killed. You know, a girl who had all her life in front of her was killed. Um, the family lost their daughter, lost their sister. And I hope the film kind of finally comes to quite a quiet point where that's what you think about. Did you? You, you said you went to meet um, the journalist Barbie. You know, whose book, as I said, as you said there, it's not based on, but kind of inspired or kicked off your train of thought towards towards making this film. When you went to meet her in Rome. Is that where you had the chance to meet up with, meet other journalists who were covering that case? And, and was, the trial, was the trial actually live then? Was it happening? I mean, did, you get to, did you get to experience the press covering that trial in a way that then influenced uh, the film itself? Yeah, I mean, uh, Barbie was incredibly generous with the time. I, so I, so I, I met her and I thought she'd be an interesting character to put into the film. And then um, she introduced us to all the other English language journalists and some of the Italian journalists who've been covering the case. So they all knew each other really well. They've been covering the story already for two years. And we had a dinner, a little bit like a dinner in the film, where they all sat around. Half of them thought they, uh, they, 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 the accused were innocent, half thought they were guilty. And, and you know, then Barbie took me up to Perugia, where the trial was happening, and we met the prosecutor and various other people. So it, was, you know, it began there. And, and you know, really, our films, you know, the chronology of the kind of present day in our film is from the beginning of the appeal trial, which is where, where we kind of arrived in a way. So we saw the beginning of the appeal trial, and our film goes from the beginning of the appeal trial to the end. But as I say, it's not really about the trial in the end. It's like that is, a, that is the story they're covering, but it's more about the other kind of characters around that trial. As you said earlier, I mean, the film does take various vantage points on this, on this case, you know, partly the press, um, and very, very importantly, respecting the memory of the murdered character in the film, who's obviously a representation, an indirect representation of Meredith Kircher as well. But at the heart of the film, it's, it's also a story of a, of a filmmaker, a filmmaker who's trying to work out how to tell a story by, you know, around, this, around this murder case. When did, when did that emerge, that there'd be a filmmaker? I mean, it's, it's, it's not too crude to say, you know, kind of an alter ego of yourself or a, or a representation of yourself considering how to make this sort of story. When, when did that emerge as a natural way or the right way to do it? I, that, that came quite early on. I think in the initial outline I did it was like that was the idea. And then, to be honest, we then spent a bit of time going away from that backwards and forwards, whether the central character should be the journalist 
or someone exploring that world. And I kind of felt it was important that, you know, a, a filmmaker making a, a film about that sort of story is in quite a similar place to a journalist. And it kind of felt to me if we just made it about the journalist, it would look like we thought we were separate. And this is like, you know, we, you know that, that we're doing something different to them. This is an attack on journalism and the way the media behaves. But obviously, we're part of the media. So I kind of th that was really the starting point why he should be there, that he's just as compromised as anyone else. He behaves just as badly as anyone else. He's just as weak as anyone else. And just you know, to kind of like to acknowledge that we are involved in the same business as the journalist. Because I think one problem with journalism is it, it it slags off everyone else, it exposes everyone else's weaknesses, but rarely reminds you as you're reading the article about the politician's indiscretion that the journalist might as well might well be doing something equally as bad the, the, the night before as well. Unless they're writing about another newspaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, for me, the central thing about, about Thomas, the, Daniel Brule's character, it's not that he's a filmmaker, but he's, the, he's a father. He's a father, he's got a young daughter who's nine years old, he's separate from her because, uh, because he's separate from, from the mom. And so his, kind of, his love for his daughter is absent is what connects him to the story. And what the film, I hope, is about is more about that kind of love for someone rather than it being about the filmmaking process. Uh, we're going to see a clip in a second. Before we do, I'd like to bring in discussion about the writer, Paul Vera. And Paul Vera is the, you know, the screenwriter of the film, but it sounds like it very much originated initially with your, you know, your desire, your thoughts around this case. So at what point did, did Paul come in and then how, how did you work together on it? Uh, I think I think I, I read the book. I went I went to meet Barbie first of all by myself, and I think the first trip up to Perugia was just me and Barbie and so on. And then and then there was a kind of like okay, I felt like okay, there's something interesting there. And at that point, there, I, there was like a little outline of what I thought was interesting. At that point, uh, talked to Paul about it, and uh, from then on we worked together. So there was a bit of a bit of a kind of for the first kind of year, like there was a bit of a kind of debate about should. Thomas be a writer or a director. So in the end, like we had a kind of like vague. He's a filmmaker. He's a writer and a director. So, you know, it's like you know, it's it's with any film, it's a collaboration. Whether you're collaborating with the writer, or with the people it's based on, whether it's with the actors, the cameraman. It's like you sort of, you know, it's a sort of you're working together. That's part of the fun of films. And it's not like that's their bit. That's your bit. It's a kind of process, and you end up with something that hopefully you all feel is partly yours. But very early on, did you decide that it would be you know, sensible and/or right to? Not to call the character, not not to call the characters Meredith and Amanda, not to set it in Perugia, but to to move the, to move the you know the the real the real case, the real story, you know, slightly to the left of reality. Yeah, I mean that is a, again that's something we talked about a lot as we kept, it wasn't as though that was one decision and we never talked about it. But from the beginning, I felt that um, that because we we knew there'd be fictional elements to the story, fictional characters, that it would be wrong that if all the journalists have fictional names, but the people who, who you know, the, people, the girl had been killed or the accused had real names, that was kind of mixed of the real names and the, and the, and the fictional seemed to be wrong. And uh, and so, so I mean, in the end, you know, all the facts of the case, all the facts of the trial, are as exactly as accurate as if we had. Uh, Kept their names. It's not. We're not trying to pretend it's not the story that based on Meredith Kircher's murder. But it just felt to me to be that want it to be a parallel world. It'd be, and it'd be wrong to have these fictional things going on around. It's just the transition between the fiction and reality would be wrong. I thought. Did, did you meet any opposition along the way? I mean, from from the justice system, from the government, from obviously the families and people involved. No, I think we were all nervous of the subject, and you know, and were you know realised there were lots of kind of difficult areas. I mean, the most difficult area from my point of view was the Kircher family. I think one of the starting points was that they behaved with a huge amount of dignity through the whole process of the trials and stayed away from the media scrum. So it wasn't like we were trying to like engage with them, like rope them in, because clearly that's one of the things they hadn't done. But at the same time, 
another motivation had been that you know they did go to Perugia and whenever they were there for the key moments they were like we're here because we want Meredith to be remembered and I kind of hope that the film does try and remember Meredith specifically but also just there's lots of stories like this where the victim disappears so we, we told we, Lyle Kircher, Meredith's brother was like their sort of representative dealing with the media so we let him know what was happening and then in the end we showed him the film and he felt it was a kind of appropriate way of remembering Meredith. So we put a dedication to Meredith at the end of the film, which of course we wouldn't have done if they felt it wasn't the right thing. Yeah, but we're going to see a clip now. The clip we're going to see uh, involves uh, the filmmaker character Thomas, played by Daniel Bruhl. Uh, he's in the car with a character called Melanie, who we haven't spoken about yet, but we'll talk about afterwards, uh, played by Cara Delevingne. So if we can see that clip, please. Thank you. Look at those mountains. Beautiful. I imagine you as a skier. Do you go skiing? Yeah, I do. I'm a snowboarder. Of course. Why of course? What does that mean? You look like a snowboarder. I look like a snowboarder. Yeah. Young, hip and cool. Really? Giovanno. Do you know Giovanno? Do you know? Dante was homesick for Tuscany. It's so flat. Did you actually read it? Yep. O oh, you who on the road of love pass by, attend and see, if any grieves there be his heaviest mind. They have two different endings. In the original version, he ends up with a new wife, but later he rewrote it to stay true to Beatrice. I prefer that ending. Because you're a teenager. I'm not a teenager, I'm an adult. I'm 21. You behave like a child. <laughs> Anyone that's seen the trip to Italy will know that you're not unfamiliar with connecting <laughs> driving scenes in the Italian landscape with character and, and story. It's true. Um, do you have any particular connection? I mean, just curious, this sideways question, but I know you made Genoa in Italy and you made the trip to Italy and then you made this. Any particular interest in Italian culture? Do you think that's in the background? I mean, it's not yeah. the reason I made this film, but no. yeah, I, mean, spend, I spend quite a lot of time in Italy, but uh, we have a, so I go there quite often. But, um, but it's, that, it's incidental to all those films. No, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, real question about um, the character Melanie we see there, played by Cara Delevingne. I mean, she. She's someone who Thomas meets while in Siena, while thinking about making the film. She's a character who works in, she works behind a bar in Siena. I mean, she's full of life and, and youth. And you can probably pick up on this more than I can describe it. But essentially, she, she represents the youthful spirit of, of the murdered girl that's, that's, that's disappeared. And in a way, reintroduces the, the idea of you know, the absent character to us, the, the murdered girl. Exactly. You, you explain it perfectly. I mean, she, she, she's a student. She's a student there uh, for a year and she's working at a bar. So she's very similar to uh, 
the characters in our film, uh, Elizabeth and Jessica, who, who are like the kind of uh, Meredith and Amanda characters. You know? and, and a lot of the film is about love for people who aren't there, love for people you're separated from. So the idea of Manny is that she's the one person in the film who, you know, who, you know, who reminds you, reminds Thomas of his daughter, remind, reminds him of the, of the girls he's trying to make the film about, and, and makes, you know, reminds him also that life's enjoyable. You know, that, you know, she, the idea of her, that she's a sort of modern day Beatrice. She's like sort of some, someone that you can kind of, he, you know, he likes in a kind of very simple kind of way, and uh, reminds him that life is worth living, that life's fun, especially when you're young. It also, it also something about their relationship, it just, and it should say it's not, it's not a romantic relationship in any traditional sense at all, but there's something about their relationship that reflects on his own, if not failings, but struggles with being a parent as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, he's, he's, the idea of Thomas is lost, you know, he's in a, a crisis because he's got a crisis of work because he hasn't made a film for a long time, he's got a crisis because his daughter is in L.A. with his wife, who's an actress who's successful, and he feels he can't work there, so he, he doesn't know where to be there, to be near or not. So he has this kind of crisis. And he's, he's, you know, he's like, spends most of the film in the alleyways of Siena, being physically and spiritually lost. And then when he meets her, kind of finally, when they get out of Siena, sort of, he realizes he should go back to his, to his daughter. So she, she, she has that kind of role. But I think also, one thing as well for me is that, yeah, I think part of the problem with the media spending so much time covering violence, spending so much time covering crime, is that it kind of makes you feel like, oh my God, you know, everything's dangerous, everything's bad, you should be suspicious, you should always suspect the worst. And like Melanie is like incredibly open. She just goes, you know, she she enjoys things. She's trusting. She she uh, she just, you know, she she's immediately kind of befriends Thomas. She assumes that the best motives of people. And I think, you know, and that is what I think I find really attractive about her as a character. You know, that, that I think that is how we should behave. That even if bad things happen, sometimes, most times, good things happen. And unless you're willing to be open like that, you miss out on all the good things. This, this idea of us always expecting the worst and being attracted to violence. I mean, in, at one point in the film, the, the story does kind of lead us towards a character who seems suspicious, or certainly seems suspicious in Thomas's eyes. And you know, I don't want to say, say any more than that. But were you, were you in some ways trying to play with you know, our, our, the audience's sort of need, need, to ha need to have a, a culprit, need, need to have a solution, or need to suspect? I guess it's partly about what the audience uh expects from a film, what kind of narrative you expect. And, and in this film, it kind of fairly consciously keeps shifting every sort of 10 minutes or so what kind of narrative it might be. So it is a narrative about uh, a murder case, it's a narrative about media, and then it goes into a darker area. So like, he has like nightmares which are kind of based on Dante, then he has these kind of paranoid fantasies about what's going on in Siena. So it kind of literally keeps shifting. Uh, I think you know, it also felt appropriate to character. Like it felt you know, that, that you know, think, you know that, that kind of paranoia of Thomas felt like appropriate to his character. And I think probably in general it kind of reflected one of the you know things that I think was interesting about the trials because there were characters in it or people in it from Italy and America and Britain. You saw the way the media kind of. Uh, Creates a kind of you know, media sort of creates a story specific to its own audience. So one of the things was you know like all the American press would be like the Italian system's corrupt. It's you know it's, it, that's why the, it's a wrong verdict. And I think you know when you're abroad you know you're in a strange place that you easily get that kind of paranoia and put and put on your fears of something different onto wherever you happen to be. And you, you turn there's 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 a <coughs> short section of the film where you turn Siena into a fairly kind of gothic nighttime nightmare as well. But that that's that's very much reflecting Thomas's kind of the the depths of Thomas's paranoia and, and crisis, isn't it? Yeah, because Siena yeah. is a beautiful place, but I mean, it's also, it has that potential as well. And I mean, I guess everywhere has that potential. So it's partly Thomas's subjective kind of 
you know, uh, his own crisis is, uh, you know, that is projected onto Siena. But I have to say there are elements of those Italian towns that are very beautiful in summer that when you're there in winter are slightly more dark and forbidding. And it might not look like it from the outside, but it's actually a film in which you somehow manage unsuccessfully to have a CGI, a CGI creature during, during the nighttime scenes in Siena. But maybe we shouldn't talk any more about that, because if, if you haven't seen the film, it will make no sense whatsoever. Uh, we're going to see a second and final clip. Um, just before we do, that, the, scene, the clip we just saw there, obviously, see, we see Cara Delevingne playing Melanie. Fairly noteworthy in terms of her casting in the film. This is somebody who's, well, she is a model, is also now acting as well. How, how did she end, simple question really, how did she end up in the film or how did you end up casting her? Uh, I'd met lots of people for the part. You know, it's, it's, you know her role, as we were saying, is like a student, kind of wanting someone very open and natural and that, that you kind of felt was really like spontaneous. And I met lots of good actors, but I hadn't really found the person I thought was right. And then someone in our office said, you should meet this person. I didn't know who she was and she came in and She'd like just flown in overnight from some glamorous location, but it was like, despite that, was like full of energy and seemed to me exactly the right person for the film. Actually, I mean, she, she is, you said the word natural there. I mean, she's a very natural presence in the film. Yeah, did, did but, she, but what's good, I think, is that when you watch it, it looks like she's just you know, hanging, you know, being herself, you know, be, maybe in front of you. But actually, it's quite scripted, you know. So she was actually able to take the script and then make it kind of hers, you know. And she's working, you know, Valeria Mastandreo is in the film. You know, is a top Italian actor, won Best Actor last year in Italy, and Daniel Brühl is a top German actor. And they not only did you know is she great with them, but they love working with her. I mean, they, I mean, she's really a proper actor. It's not just like, well, we can't, we just kind of told her to do what you want to do, and we filmed her. Yeah, excellent. Well, we're going to see a second and final clip. Uh, this clip is, sees the filmmaker Thomas, played by Daniel Brühl, talking with a group of journalists. Uh, I think in Italy, been in Siena. Siena now, but I'll, I'll be back in a moment. Okay. Okay, Bobby. Hey. Hi. I thought you might like this. It's one of my articles. Thank you. Strange. When I think of the face of an angel, I always think of Elizabeth. Do you all mean Jessica? We all use that line for Jessica. Jessica is like a film star. Oh, hey. Blank canvas. Someone we project our fantasies onto. She's the story. Yeah, guilty or not, that's all anyone wants to read. It's sad that Elizabeth has disappeared. Oh, look at that. He's got Jessica's diaries there. There's some flawless journalism right there. Joe's very proud of his scoop. You know, the police played a dirty trick on her mm. when she was in jail. They told her that she had tested positive for HIV, so she had to write a list of everyone she had <laughs> ever slept with. It's in there. How much did you pay for it? These diaries, they're not even that big a deal. Uh, okay, it's, it's one of the things that I use to articulate a story about her. So, for example, she, she says that she wants to visit a sex shop. Oh, uh, she writes a letter to her boyfriend saying she wants to watch a porn film and then practice with him. And she emailed her friends. She, she, she had sex with this random guy that she met on a train in Italy. So? <laughs> By read in the bathroom, she shared with Elizabeth. It became part of the trial. Exactly. It, it, it was only this thing. Was only this thing. <laughs> I remember the famous kiss outside the house. That kiss put them in prison. Oh, she went underwear shopping the night after the murder. What? None of that makes her a killer. Well, people love it. I mean, sex and, and murder, it sells. Is it everything you're interested in? Yeah, because it's how I make a living. And you know what, guess what? It's how you make a living now, too. She wrote a fantasy story about rape. I'm writing a script about a murder. Does that make me a murderer? No, her character was part of the trial. That's what the jury was asked to judge. So if she would have been a better actor, she had behaved well and cried, she would have been found innocent? Sure. Probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now she's dressing all prim and proper, and is likely to get off. Mm -hmm. Of course. Right. Yeah. So that's all true. Don't you worry a little bit that all the stuff you make up could make a fair trial harder? All right, so listen, mate, we don't actually make stuff up, OK? okay. You write what sells, sex sells. You steal her diaries and make her look like an infomaniac. Yeah, because that's what she wrote. Oh, come on. You can make anyone look bad if you want to. I dare say, even you would look like a shit if people would go through your private life. Oh, well, listen, I'm a tabloid journalist, so everyone thinks I'm a shit anyway. <laughs> Fucking said it. Excuse me. Oh. Oh. 
Well, he still has my diary there. Oh. He didn't want my paper. No, yeah, got taste. One of the things that scene deals, you know, pretty directly with is, well, in, indirectly in terms of, you know, different character, different names, is the fact that this, this whole case, the murder of Meredith Kirchhoff, probably became more known as, you know, the Amanda Knox case or the Amanda Knox story, Foxy Noxy, and the, headline, the headlines were, you know, focused on, focused on her. Did, did, you, did, you, did you have conversations with journalists about that, about how that had come to pass, how she'd become the story rather than the murder victim? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, you know, I met all the journalists, the English language journalists, like, you know, the, in a way that group are based on the Italian journalists covering the case. You know, and, the, and they've all seen the film. They all kind of, you know, feel that it's a pretty fair representation of what happened. You know, I think, you know, journalism is a hugely important job. And most journalists, you know, very intelligent, clever people, and they, you know, go in because you want to communicate what's going on in the world. And it's, you know, everything, not everything, but like probably 99% of everything we think we know about the world is because we've seen it on TV or read it in the newspapers. So it's massively important about, you know, having journalism that deals with important issues and deals honestly with them. And that, you know, it's like, there's lots of debates in the film. It's not like there's a clear-cut right and wrong, but I think a lot of the journalists were aware that they were turning the story into a soap opera. That's what the editors wanted. That's how you got it, you know, that's how you sold the story. And, that, you know, that, you know that, that obviously is because they think that's what we all want, that we're all implicated in this. It's not as though the journalists are writing all this, but none of us are reading it or none of us are watching it. We're all watching and reading it as well. And it, you could be mistaken seeing that scene to, to, to thinking that the film's about a crusading filmmaker, you know, fighting against the press. I mean, that is, that is, it's much more complicated than that. Yeah, and it? also, you know, the idea is like when you watch the film that Thomas is no, you know, it's not like Thomas is a good guy and everyone else is a bad guy. So, so that Thomas has some opinions which change during the film and other people put alternative opinions and it's a bit of a debate and you can think for yourself, like, there's no right or wrong. You can think for yourself, well, what is right and what, you know, what is the, you know, what, you should, what should you do and what shouldn't you do? And, you know, and, you know it's like all the... Uh, you know, all the, yeah, I say, all the journalists I've met, you know, it's not like an attack on them as individuals. But I do think we should question whether, you know, we, whether it's a good thing that there is so much stuff these days about violence and sort of stuff about crime. It is everywhere, you know, it's in fiction and in, on, on, you know, in the news and that. And I just think, you know, it, 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 I think it's partly because there's so much space online and on 24 Hour News that they will, anything that will fill a long space is good. So every trial that they can turn into a soap opera, they do. Every violent crime that they can get a few stories out of, they do. And obviously in the case of Meredith Kirchner's kind of murder, that's a story that's been going on for seven years and they can still, they can still sell stories on it. And just finally, before we open up for a couple of questions, um, you, you, do, you said earlier on at the beginning that you know, it was very, very important and people didn't leave this film without being reminded that this is this, the base, the very, the whole basis of this story, this film. The reason it's about is that a, a young girl, Meredith Kircher, was murdered. You do, you don't have her. You don't go back and reconstruct events beforehand, but you do introduce her as a as a character. I wonder if you could just talk through how you wanted to introduce her and, and the importance of that. She has a presence. I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, um, well, I mean, I mean, we. we just to clarify that, we, we, yeah. uh, we don't at all try and speculate on what happened. You know, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, from that's the what I mean, that's, that's from, very yeah, much from what I was saying. Yeah. It's like, I kind of think it's like a lot of uh, cases, you're never going to know exactly what happened. I think that's why the journalists, you know, to some extent, why the journalists were able to keep their story going for so long, because it could become all about the character of the accused and, and are they, you know, and what they dressed or how, how they behaved became more important than the facts of the case because, it, you know, it, because clearly those facts are never going to be clear enough to know what happened that night. Uh, but obviously, you know, the idea of the film is that, that this person who's, who's been killed is like, is the love the father has for, for her specifically or the love the family have for her is, you know, it, we, I wanted people to think about that. So obviously it's about, you know, to, to what extent love can, 
sort of triumph over that absence. You know, so we have scenes where we see her, which is sort of carried away, like Thomas is imagining what what uh, what she's like. And part of Cara's role, in a way, is that she, you know she is a kind of version of her in the film, and the version for Thomas of what of how. Uh, Meredith would be, or, or how, the, how the, Elizabeth, the character based on Meredith, would be. But you know, but she is quite. I hope she has a big emotional impact in the film. But she, but it's more through people, people, people's love for her, not you know that that, yeah. that she's there. And you know, I think I think these days, lots of families. You know, the family relationships, obviously, the relationship you have your brothers and sisters, your parents, and your, especially your children, are the most important relationships. But a lot of families are spread out. So even in the most mundane way, that you, you know, a lot of people have to try and keep those relationships going through some sort of absence, like Thomas does with his daughter. Thank you. Um, we've got time for a few questions. Are, are there any questions out there in the audience that we can take for Michael Winsbottom? Um, there's one here. There is a microphone coming along. Thank you. Hi there. Um, my question is, some of your films are based on true life stories and some are purely fiction. Do you ever see a difference uh, when you come in to pick your projects or do you look for something story-wise? I mean, usually there's like some kind of you know fairly random thing that interests you in the first place, and then gradually the idea of it you know becomes clearer, and what what interests you becomes clearer. And obviously, like lots of projects you work on for a period of time, and then it's not going to happen. I mean, I I, 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 I have I have done a lot of films based on real stories or real events, but with but, are t but put, you know t taken what you know into a kind of fictional world. I I like the I guess there's something in that area that I like between the movement between okay we know this is based on something that's real but on the hand this is fictional and the crossing over from that border is something I like you know not not I don't know why but um, yeah but it kind of affects other aspects of filmmaking as well you know it's like I like working with you know mixing between sort of non-actors and, and and proper actors between having characters in a a location, but the rest of the location is kind of going on. It's not obviously to your film, so so you're, you're perhaps slightly aware of a shift of type, the type of storytelling you're in. There's an element that's controlled, there's an element that's random, there's an element that's fiction, an element of fact, and that so you're, you're you know perhaps people are having to keep thinking about that a little bit as they watch the film. Um, well, I'm going to bring things to a close. Sure, great. Um, the Face of an Angel is uh, opening here in the UK on Friday. Thank you very much for the director of the film, Michael Winterbottom. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.